Hello, I'm Mark Petruzzi, host of Selling the Cloud podcast. And I'm Ray Reich, your co-host of the show. We talk to a wide variety of cloud and SaaS industry thought leaders and revenue generation experts. Who share their unique insight into what is required to build and grow a great business in the cloud. Now, on to today's show. today's episode of Selling the Cloud podcast. I'm your host, Mark Petruzzi, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ray Reich. And today we are very fortunate to have as our guest, Bob Scarperi, co-founder and managing partner at Revenue Vision Partners. We'll cover three main areas today. The first one, B2B data overload. Is that just reality or is there an opportunity at that? Number two, just the concept of ICP, ideal customer profile, how to define it, how to make sure you're finding the right buyers in your market. Number three, turning data into a strategic customer acquisition asset. And I'm very fortunate again, not only to have Bob, but my co-host Ray in this discussion, because he's got a very deep uh, knowledge base on this as well. So really excited for this one. Bob, please take a moment to give a brief background overview and just a little bit on your journey to becoming a guest today on Selling the Cloud podcast. Welcome, Bob. Thanks so much, Mark. I'm thrilled to be here with you guys. For the listening audience, I just want to let you guys know that while we were setting up for today, Mark got yet another signed contract rolling in on his printer fax behind him. So, you know, Mark's incredible success just rolls on. There you go. I'm hoping for another one. So let's, uh, let's, let's hope that thing starts rolling in the middle of the show. <laughs> Nothing would make me happier, Mark. So with regard to my journey, I've been in revenue leadership fellows for you know about 30 years, similar to you guys, right? I've just been so lucky to be at great places like ADP, early days of DoubleClick, Alliance Bernstein, MediaMath, toward the you know sort of back third of my career. Guys, I had three chief revenue officer jobs where they were highly transformational engagements and where I really became kind of addicted to the drug of transformation and helping an organization get from here to there with regards to talent and process, structure, data, systems. So I you know, sort of decided to dedicate the rest of my career to helping other leaders with those critical areas of growing a business. Excellent. Thank you. Great to have you here, Bob. So, Bob, in, in recent research, we found that you know data management is the number one activity that most revenue operation teams focus on. Yet, we hear time and time again, the quality of data is a top concern of sales leaders, sales development organizations. So, with so many tools and sources out there, why is this issue of data management such a major challenge for B2B go-to-market teams? Yeah, Mark. So we're at this beautiful moment in time where the amount of data available to revenue leaders is both deep and wide, and it varies in its level of kind of depth and quality, right? So there's no question we are at this moment in time where there is plenty of data. However, 
being in the seat of a VP of sales operations, revenue operations, being a chief revenue officer, a head of sales, a CEO, being able to figure out which data to acquire and how to onboard it and then utilize it, it's never been more confusing. So we are in that place in the sort of data curve where it's just been an absolute avalanche of data, but the revenue leader just sits there kind of paralyzed by the inability to choose, onboard, and utilize that data mark. In fact, Bob, it's interesting. I just conducted some recent research, and it actually showed that sales development representatives, so those early career people responsible for trying to build the very top of your funnel, that over 40% of the time, they are responsible for actually building that list, that contact list of who to reach out to. And I'm just like, I'm amazed. Why do you think organizations 40% of the time are allowing list building from the data, which is very, I will say, not always high fidelity. They're asking SDRs to build their own list. It's unbelievable, Ray. And I love your, again, for everyone out there, Ray has an awesome and accurate statistic for everything. So yes, I've seen that as well, where SDRs are the ones responsible for, you know, their company may have onboarded some great data sources, but they are then tasked with, and they, by design, as we all know, they are so early in their careers to have to choose the data source and then figure out how to compile a list of the correct prospects, right? I mean, you, they can waste hours and hours and hours and get burnt out and frustrated and just waste time with the wrong accounts, with low quality accounts, with accounts who have very low probability to buy, it's shocking that you know we as revenue leaders haven't made it more simple for people young in their career to choose that data and execute on it. Let's double click on that for just a minute though. Why? Why do you think it is? Because in that same research, only 8% of the time did marketing have the responsibility for making sure that data was built into prioritized lists. And only 12% of the time was it sales leadership. Why do you think it is, Bob? Well, look, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of background for when we started Revenue Vision Partners. We spent about the first, I don't know, let's call it four months figuring out what data we wanted to onboard so that we had an arsenal of data with which to help the revenue leaders who are our clients. And oh my God, it's so confusing because, you know, you look at the obvious sources like Zoom Info, which had a phenomenal IPO this year and Lattice Engines, DNB, some of the more well-known databases. And then there are also great sources of industry-specific data. Again, there isn't a playbook right now, Ray, on how you choose which data you acquire, how to onboard it, and then how to make it actionable to the individuals who are at the coalface responsible for getting qualified sales opportunities into the hands of the enterprise seller or whomever the you know, appropriate individual is who runs the sales process. So Ray, I'll jump on the next question here. That thank you, Bob, for that. So yeah, the, the whole concept of ICP, you know, we it's an acronym that it's easy, it rolls off of everyone's every CRO and CMO's tongue many times a day. But uh, and you know, there's lots of discussions about it. But 
what are you know what's the what are the core tenets? How are you advising your clients on how to build an effective ICT and integrate that into your overall go-to-market strategy? Mark, I've been shocked and again based on the business model of of our company pleasantly surprised with my clients inability to answer the question tell me about your ideal customer they know they need to answer the question they know they need an ideal customer profile but the amount of companies that we talked to and the hundreds that we've talked to since we launched and when we were in pre-launch who actually had an ideal customer profile it's single digits. My jaw has hit the floor so many times. Multi-billion dollar companies who don't know who their ideal customer is. So look, I take this in kind of two phases. There are the things you can learn about a company from the outside before that SDR or that salesperson really engages with decision makers. And those things, Mark, are mostly the firmographics of a company, right? What sector are they in? What subsector? How much revenue? How many employees? What are the descriptive heuristics on the internet about that company? How do they describe themselves online? These are things that we can go out and we can procure the data and we can answer those questions. And then there are things that you learn when once you've gotten through the front door or in today's world on the other end of a Zoom or a cell phone that you learn about the company. What kind of buying mode are they in, right? And for this, I love Miller-Hyman, right? Are they in growth mode, trouble mode? Are they overconfident, even keel? Are you talking to a decision maker at the right level, right? You should have some of these characteristics in that second level of an ideal customer profile and then simply, Mark, you should have a score associated with it, right? Out of a thousand, what, or out of a hundred or out of 10, what does an account rank in both their revenue potential on one axis and their probability to buy on the other based on those firmographics and then those things that you learn about the humans in the company? Rob, let me ask you a couple more questions about that ideal customer profile, kind of the input variables. Once again, I, I say this all the time because I'm fortunate enough to do a lot of research, but we just conducted some research with DemandBase, a leader in account-based marketing programs or software. And we looked at technographics, which is what's their technical infrastructure. Now, this, of course, was for B2B SaaS and cloud vendors, right? That was very yes. important. And the other thing, and I'd like to get your feedback on this, how do you use intent data as part of enriching that ICP profile? Yeah, great questions, Ray. This comes up all the time. Okay, so technographics, I would put in a cat in a in a subset of firmographics, right? And I think technographics can be so important, right? If you sell a SaaS product and you have a partnership with, you know, name another, you know, SaaS organization, it can be Microsoft, it can be Adobe. And you can figure out from the outside if that company has the software that you are partnered with, that certainly improves your probability to close, right? So technographics are more challenging than some of the sort of middle of the fairway firmographics I named earlier, but they can be wildly helpful in figuring out your ideal customer. And then in intent data. Intent data is all the rage, right? An analyst at Sanford Bernstein said to me when I was, I don't know, early in my career about a specific chart. You know, this chart hides as much as it reveals. And that's how I feel about intent data. Intent data can often send you wildly in the wrong direction. If you don't also have a measure of quality and you aren't also 
certain that the person is a valid decision maker, you can spend cycle after cycle after cycle chasing people who seem to be really screening high on intent data based on the things they're searching for on the web. I'm going to double click on that one also. So yeah, I agree. Intent data can lead you down a false path, especially if it's an individual. But what about using techniques to build account or buying teams? And then you can actually take multiple data and or buying intent signals and say, oh, if five people from company A is interested, that might be a really good target. I love it. I love it, Ray. Yes, I couldn't agree more. I think that's the best way to skin that cat, right? So if you have the kind of triple combo of a quality of account signal, you have based on, again, all of the very high quality B2B data, you know the typical titles that you're selling to, and you've populated that information for a high quality account. And then you know individuals who have those job titles, who are your typical buyers, are the ones who are searching for the kind of keywords that might indicate interest in a product like yours. That's the winning combo. When you do one or two of those things without the third, it's wildly less effective. So Mark, so I was going to ask you, so we talked a lot about ICP and that typically talks about the account, but there's also the individual role, the buyer persona. Right. How important do you think having the right buyer persona defined and what his or her kind of needs are in combination with the ICP? Yeah, no, I'm actually glad we went in that direction uh, before we moved on, because I think it sets up the next question, too. So, you know, buyer persona is, is hugely important because, you know, particularly in any type of enterprise deal, anything that has more of a complex a model, we, we really need to, to, to understand deeply how the decision process is going to get driven within, a, uh, within our client organizations, our prospect or organization. So really defining that, that kind of comes back to what Bob mentioned early, earlier. As many of you have heard on earlier segments of our podcast, I, I'm not a big believer in spending a lot of money in sales training programs and all the different methodologies that are out there. I do think it's great to have one. It's great to have a vernacular and terminology. And to, to Robert's point about Miller-Hyman, that's, that's, a, that's a fine one to, to describe and analyze things. But you really have to understand, you know, within a buying organization, you know, how will your organization buy and really what types of individuals and personalities even are going to drive that throughout the, the buying cycle. So I think that's really where good sales reps become great, in, in my opinion. Bob, kind of sending it over to you regarding kind of that buyer persona. So you do a lot of work on making sure you have the right data and process in place to define the ICP. I would think also to define the buyer persona and then what the messaging is. So how important do you think it is to know both of those and have well-defined outbound processes within your go-to-market strategy of both of those in an interrelated manner, i.e. the size of company, the target industry, and the CMO versus the VP of demand generation? I, yeah, process makes perfect, right, right? I love combining this kind of scientific approach with a rigorous process where the buyer persona is emphasized 
and then double clicked on with regard to what are their typical business problems? What are they going through? What is that human dealing with in their job? What's broken? What's lacking? What's a risk, right? And then on the flip side, what are the aspirations they have, right? So, okay, there's a bunch of stuff that may be broken, but what do they want in their ability to do their job and outperform in their role? What would make their life better? What would make them crush their goals? And when the organization, the sales organization, really spends a lot of time understanding that and can speak the client's language and meet the buyer where they are, and they pair it, Ray, with a rigorous set of diagnosis questions that is reinforced every time, I think it's an awesome combo. Start with the client and their problems and build from there. Too many people think, you know, solution selling is just being wildly articulate in what their product does. And man, that puts people to sleep every time. So Bob, we've talked about the ideal customer profile and the buyer persona. Another thing I hear all the time is, well, we need to map our internal process to the buyer's journey. And I'm like, okay, how do you go about gathering the data to truly understand the buyer's journey? So I'm going to turn that over to you. It's like, how the heck do you actually understand the buyer's journey and go from an inside out to an outside in process? Yeah. Well, that is one of my favorite parts of that. The perfectly executed sort of executive overview meeting where you meet high level decision makers, you talk about their business problems, you understand the metrics that they are trying to affect by considering a solution, and then really diving into how they function internally, who gets involved, Who are the technical buyers, right? Who are the ones who can say no, but they can't say yes. They're probably legal and finance and compliance. And who are the user buyers who actually have hands-on keyboard every day? And how does that team function and make decisions together? And have they put together an RFP? Do they have decision-making criteria, right? Really diving in deep while you have that opportunity in that executive meeting to understand how the group functions, what kind of rigor they may have put around a buying process, how formal is that buying process? Again, is there a procurement department who's managing a very specific RFP? You know, usually people get a little bit spooked by that. It's normal, right? But getting the awareness upfront and asking that very thorough set of questions about how that company operates and will orchestrate a final decision is critical. So Bob, you you hit on some great points there and it kind of is, it it just shows how engaged a, a sales rep has to be within that whole buying process to be successful. The percentage of time we want to be successful in our deal. And it also, it also proves how, you know, how many questions they need to be answered along the way. And for example, I'm not a, you know, as I've written in, uh, in selling the cloud and shared in other cases, I'm not a complete follower of the challenger sale. And I think there's ways that you can become way too combative or way too uh, intrusive in a selling process with that type of an approach, or at least if you take it too literally. However, you have to get, you have to ask those questions. You have to press on things. You have to not allow 
a procurement process or by your team to not answer things that you frankly need to know. Or again, you don't need to be combative about it. Sometimes you just have to say, if I can't get these questions answered, I can't continue on the selling process. I, I need to go and spend my time somewhere else. And that is, you know, that's the difference between good to great in my world in sales. Man, Mark, there's so much you said there that I love. And before I comment, I'm going to, uh, tell you something that I think is going to make you happy. I was out with a close friend last night having some beers and he's one of the first 10 people at Snowflake. And I wow. told him we were doing the podcast today and, and he mentioned that Snowflake is buzzing about the Selling the Cloud book. They're all like, you know, this is the most modern contemporary approach that they've seen. So, uh, so just know that you've got some big fans out there. To your question, Thank Mark. You. Yeah, that understanding how to operate within your prospects organization in a way that is both thorough and satisfying to them, asking those questions with the right tone and being able to talk the talk of the industry that your client operates in and framing everything in a way that they understand how it benefits them. I love also, Mark, sellers having this very pleasant conviction in the way that they're going to manage a sales process. They have to be these rigorous project managers, right? I see them using all this awesome project management software in these big enterprise deals, right? But being this incredibly pleasant and sort of pleasing individual who can frame things, look, here is our process. This is the way that we work. And we don't divert from this process. We will do all of the things that are needed to satisfy your buying criteria, but this is what we need on our side. And this is how it benefits you. When the seller has that pleasant conviction, the buyers follow. And when they don't mark, that's right. Pull the ripcord. Understand how to stage gate your sales process and have a deal team. And when that deal team is not satisfied with what's happening and you're spending too many re resources, they need to cut you off. There are too many great accounts out there, right? When you do the work to understand your scored and ranked prospects, these SaaS companies, they have such a deep blue ocean so often that it's not worth wasting time in a sales process that people are not willing to invest the time and resources that you need to be successful. You know, Bob, that, that's really good insight, especially for those enterprise class salespeople responsible for managing the deal cycle and ultimately getting to yes and revenue. But let me zoom out for a minute because a lot of the listeners here are chief revenue officers, head of sales, head of sales organizations. And one of the things I hear all the time is, oh, we are data driven. We collect so much data about the sales process, about our buyers, right, et cetera. But what I'm seeing is this data overload issue. They have so much data that they're actually not able to filter out what's meaningful versus not meaningful, i.e. data overload. So metrics-informed decision-making becomes difficult because they have too much data. Do you have a framework or a methodology for sales leaders that how do you ensure you don't have too much data, both for your salespeople, but also for you to make decisions? I, yes, absolutely. And, and look, these things, Ray, we all know vary from, you know, organization to organization, depending on stage, depending on sales velocity, so on and so forth. 
But I do think it's very important for a sales leadership team to align on what data do we absolutely need on the account that we're selling to, whether it's, again, some of those firmographics, it's decision makers, it's their contact information. And then once you get involved in the sales funnel, Ray, how many, you got to solve for every sort of funnel driven metric that your organization needs. And it's, you know, too little can be too little and too much is noise. So it's simple things like how many touches, what type of touches do we need to get a marketing qualified lead? What then happens between an MQL and a sales qualified lead? What is that? Are we a fit meeting look like? How many of those do we need? And then an open opportunity and every step and stage. And it's both kind of activity metrics, Ray, and then, you know, sort of the revenue potential metrics of each individual deal, right? So what is that prospect's ability to spend money on your solution Again, based on their revenue, based on their stage, based on their growth momentum, based on how broken the current solution they have. So yes, the methodology exists. It is a funnel-driven methodology. It is an account-driven methodology, but it really ranges from you know company to company, sector to sector, stage appropriate metrics are wildly important, Ray. And, and Mark, you know, we talk about metrics and the funnel process, and I know you do a lot of transformational kind of advisory services. How do you determine as a head of sales, a CRO, what metrics at each stage of the process are meaningful? And even things like, does a quality of opportunity score make sense from what you've seen? Yeah, the, the experience that I've had is I've, I always love to turn things into recipes things that I can take from one client to the next. And in this case, I haven't been able to do so because it's really different in most companies. And it's different, not for just the reasons you would think. Sometimes, you know, you would say it's different in a in an earlier stage SaaS company than a later stage SaaS company or smaller to bigger, but it's not. It's, it's different based on the, the product mix um, and, the, and the way that the product is sold and to whom the product is sold within the organization as well. You know, is there a, a big momentum and control of the deal on the IT side versus different functional areas? So I think the, the best answer I have thus far is there are some, there are a few basic premises that you can lead with where, you know, there, you know, there you can pretty much say three or four different areas of metrics will, will help you build a more productive selling model, but it's got to be analyzed individually. And that's where, you know, the, a CRO that understands how to leverage metrics really, you know, becomes the, the reason for success in lots of companies. And frankly, the converse is true. It's CRO that just doesn't really have experience in that or just doesn't believe that it's going to help them and want to build a, you know, kind of a, a general, just momentum-based or productivity-based selling culture. You know, that's why I've, I've seen in many cases organizations struggle and fail. So it, it really has to be 
It has to be analyzed deeply. You need that continued momentum with CROs knowing how metrics really do matter and how much momentum you can gain by, by watching the right ones. Yeah, Mark, I couldn't agree more. I think we're also at a point in time where you need that unicorn CRO who has both a technocrat, right, who understands data, process, systems, rigor, who operates from a dashboard, who can report up to FP&A, who can speak the CFO's language, right? That super technocratic CRO, but oh my God, also that those leadership skills, the charisma, the passion, the enthusiasm, the ability to inspire people, right? I mean, sales is still such a performance-driven career and it does require inspiration and motivation. And so really to, to pair those two things, it's so challenging. The CRO needs to be such a unicorn. So I'm going to hand it to you because we'll have this be our kind of final on question. But I know I see it in your eyes. There's there's something you want to make sure we cover. So let's let's do it. Let's end well, strong. It's the it's the technocrat in me. <laughs> so Bob, here's the last question I wanted to, to discuss with you. We've talked a lot about how to define that ICP, integrate the both intent data and buyer persona. A little bit about the process. But what I see is so many companies, they get to 5, 10, 20 million, and they're like, oh, we have to expand our addressable market. So we've been selling to that mid-market. Now we're going to go get those big elephants in the enterprise market. And one of the mistakes I see is they're like, we're going to treat it the same way we treated our commercial market. And after two, three, four quarters, they're like, something's not working. We, may, we don't know how to sell to the enterprise. Um, do you have any advice on how to take all of those processes and data and metrics? And how do you translate that to another target market segment? Yeah, this is, uh, this is something, this is a topic that I love because you're right. Either people start out enterprise and they feel like they have, you know, kind of gotten to their rightful market share, or they start out, you know, sort of SMB or mid-market and they want to go in either direction and it's hard. So what we recommend to folks is a combination of a quantitative process and a qualitative process. So on the quant side, having the ability to analyze those best accounts, what are the common threads between the accounts who you derive the most revenue from? right? What sectors, again, are they in? What size are they? How much revenue? How many employees? There's so many things you can learn based on a quantitative analysis of your best customers to start to build a model. Also, Ray, I think it's important to interview all the key individuals who know the clients best. What gets them excited when they see a new sales opportunity? What are the things that force them to get really passionate about an opportunity? And where do those customer success people see the accounts where the product is making the biggest difference to their organization? What are those common threads? And then to blend the quant process and the qualitative process to build a model to score and rank prospects in a cohort you haven't been in, you'll be unstoppable. Yeah, you said something that, of course, I love, and that's cohort analysis. And it's interesting. So Snowflake, we talked about it earlier, they just announced their earnings last night, right? And they had a 169% net dollar retention. 
And what that means is a cohort of customers from a year ago, that same cohort has 169% more ARR today than they did then. And one of the things I think it's really important for CROs to think about is not just that customer acquisition process and what data you're analyzing there, but go to what cohort of customers are growing the fastest once you initially land and put a programmatic approach into all those existing customers and hopefully target customers who are going to drive that 169% NDR. Do you agree kind of looking at the entire life cycle the same way, Bob? I couldn't agree more, Ray. And, you know, when you don't do a thorough and scientific cohort analysis, you're always going to come back to humans are, you know, love their comfort zones. So they all grasp onto one trait about a great client that they know best, something that they're an expert in, instead of doing a scientific, unemotional analysis of that cohort and putting together a blend of characteristics. And again, that's where I've seen people have wild swings in win rates and profitability. Did Mark, I reply for a second? <laughs> you did, but it's good. Hey, Mark, I think it might be time for us to actually have to end the show for today. I think so too, Ray. Do you want to bring us home? Yeah, Bob, can't thank you enough for all the amazing insights and inputs you provided today. Mark, as always, it's great to co-host Selling the Cloud podcast with you. And to our listening audience, it means the world to us that you're investing 30 minutes with us to hear our content and our guests. And it would mean the world to us. Also, if you would go ahead and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, go ahead and give us a rating and even provide us feedback on how we can make the show even better for you. Bob, thank you so much for being our guest today. You guys, I had a blast. Thanks for the great questions. Always a pleasure talking to you guys.